Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration from the Center for Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. as the stillness claims our attention yet again. Capacity to open the sacred moment increases. Ellie and Bob just sang a chant, I release control, the greatest addiction that exists on the planet, and surrender to a flow of love that heals us. And so this Sunday we're going to explore this love that heals us in this journey to now here, in this journey to the present moment. This Sunday we're going to explore the idea of educating the heart. That sacred space within us where we feel the presence of love the refrigerator this morning, right here at the center. Beloved Helen Keller spoke to me. I've seen it a hundred times, but I never really read it until this morning. She said, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. So I invite you to open your heart space to feel this connection we have to one another heart space that connects us to those that we love. I keep running into Claire Hurdy. I know she has a different last name now, but I still see the little girl that waddled into the place when she was maybe five years old, a little adult at five, and now she has three little kids. And I'm so grateful that I keep running into her because it gives a continuity to my life. And so what if we could look for those moments where we feel that continuity smiling back at us? The trees that turn the beautiful fall color now remind me that autumn is on its way, even though the leaves are falling from these Alabama trees. And they have Alabama leaves, which need to be mm, celebrated when they come down in red and gold and then raked up when they become brown and go to the compost so that they can become soil for the next plants in this beautiful dance we do with this sacred space that we inhabit. And so it starts from the inside. Could we find that sacred space within us? And like Helen Keller said, everything beautiful and mysterious, we touch it with our heart. We feel connected. I just returned from a spiritual retreat in Columbus, Ohio, and someone sent me a little video that has been mm, taking my attention away from me. I look up. And I see God. I look down and see my dog. I'm the one who goes away, but they'll sit there and wait for me all day. You know, 
G-O-D and D-O-G. They're not that far apart from me. Uh, so we open to the sacred moment. And we celebrate it in its mystery of unfolding. I talked to my prayer partner this morning. I hadn't spoken to him in a month. And he's speaking at the Unity Church up there in Vancouver, British Columbia. And um, he's speaking on the subject of evil because they want to talk about evil in the world. And I said to him, I said, you know, when I was in college, there was a song that says, evil spelled backwards is live. Just like embargo spelled backwards is, oh, grab me. Well, hello, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> so if you can put it into perspective, oh, grab me and live versus evil and embargo, well, then you can put things in perspective. D-O-G, G-O-D, hey, uh, it's as close as it gets in my world. So then you begin to reframe things the way you see them. They're not the way you thought they were. We just did this retreat up in Ohio, and it was called The Alchemy of Light and a Rendezvous with Love. And I referenced a lot on my Sufi teacher, Llewellyn Von Lee, because in the Sufi tradition, it's they talk about the wisdom of the heart. And one of their mm, practices, it sounds violent, so I always modify it. They say, pound the head into the heart. That sounds kind of violent, doesn't it, Barbara? So I'd rather say, surrender the head into the heart. So it's the head heart, the heart head. And then your thoughts become loving thoughts. They become nurturing thoughts. And you're an integrated person, not where the thoughts are tormenting you versus the heart is all emotion. No, 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 no. They work in this beautiful, reciprocal way. It was Ken Wilber who wrote this beautiful, or did this beautiful video about being at the threshold of the transformation of consciousness. You know, it's kind of like wake up now or don't wake up. And he talks about the two aspects of this evolution of consciousness. One is waking up, and that's largely on spirit's terms. What's going to wake you up? Is it the two by four that's going to wake you up? For some of us, it, it takes a two by four. But the other is called growing up. And the growing up, according to Kel Wilber, is a developmental practice that takes a whole lifetime to engage in, to growing up, to develop. I can see clearly now that old God is gone. And so you get to, when you premise a religion, and we just finished the Richard Rohr book, Everything Belongs, he said a cheap religion will use old liturgical paths to help cope with a sick world. Do you want a cheap religion which will give you a bunch of old liturgical practices to maintain and sustain a sick world? No, it's time to create a whole new world, one that's based on acceptance and love and inclusivity, not one that's based on otherness. Who's got the right religion? Imagine no religion, I wonder if you can. Just a God of love. So we're going to explore what the heart space would be like today. And I'm using the wonderful book by um, Mark Nepo. It says, when we fall, we get up. And one of his chapters was called The Education of the Heart. And in that, he said that the heart has wisdom and it gathers its wisdom from the many teachers that we experience in life, from the many inspiring examples out there. Could we weave those threads together of truth and find a sustainable way of navigating you know, I have so many that live in me. Like I hear Emerson all the time in my head. He says, beware when the universe unleashes an original thinker. He says, conformity and consistency are the hobgoblin of little minds and the divine of statesmen. So could we dare to express a truth that may make people uncomfortable? And he says, you all seek to be certain, but only to the degree that we are uncertain. Is there any hope for us? So could we step into that uncertain place 
saying there's something much bigger wanting to happen. We did a kirtan last Sunday morning in Ohio, and it was so beautiful because she talked about Brahma. Brahma is the Hindu god that embraces all the gods. The Brahman and the Atman are one, they say. This universal god and this local illuminated soul, the Atman, the oversoul, are one. Then they talk in that beautiful spiritual practice about Vishnu. Vishnu is the sustainer. It's the part that keeps this center operating. I'm married to a Vishnu kind of a guy. He's the treasurer of the church. He's actually teaching me all the computer programs so that I can deal with the financial things at the center. I'm looking for a volunteer because it's beyond my skill set. That's the Peter Principle on steroids. But however, he is Vishnu, the sustainer, and I so agree. I am far more Shiva. It's that little guy over there standing in the light, standing on the problems of the world, and stepping out, dancing as the light. Now, Shiva is the creator and the destroyer simultaneously. Something needs to end in order for something new to begin. So could we be willing to let what needs to die, die, so that something can resurrect within us that's going to surprise the whole world? And according to beloved Richard Rohr in that book, Everything Belongs, he said, Jesus's great message was the example of the crucifixion and the resurrection. We're going through a life where certain things need to die, but then other things can give birth. So what if this becomes a way of life, not just a concept that we put in along the side? And then he paints a picture of Jesus himself, not as the king of Israel, but as a prophet who's turning over the tables in the temple and who says, you cannot put this new wine in that old wineskin. That old wineskin can't contain it. Well, we're the new wine. Guess what? We teach oneness. We don't teach there's a good power and an evil power. It doesn't exist. And then you hear Albert Einstein. There are two kinds of people in this world, he said. Those who think there are two and those who don't. Well, I'm just saying, if there's only one here, I think I would be the one to say there's only one here. And it's God and it's, out, it's expressing itself in multiplicity. Then you can't say that there is a superior species or a superior religion. Or even we, the human species, can't call ourselves the superior life on planet Earth. They've shown that the fungus in, the, in the, the roots of the tree is so much intelligence on this planet that we don't even have an idea. Claire's beloved, Claire, I'm calling you Claire now, Pam's beloved Joseph is a scientist that is blowing me away with what he's discovering. So could our children be the way for the future? I'm counting on you, Ankor, I'm counting on Seth, because this generation, I think we've kind of fizzled out, but this new generation are going to have the vision that's required in order for this resurrection to take place on planet Earth. It requires all of us. This is a participatory universe. We need you to help this transformation take place. It's like the hundredth monkey. You've heard of that? If enough people start thinking in an empowered way, something shifts in consciousness. This is all about a shift in consciousness. Could we be willing to enter into that? So Mark Nepo talks about the threads throughout um, our, our wisdom teachings, and I pulled out this book called The Paths of the Heart, Sufism and the Christian East. It's a huge book. I was going to teach it once, but then I thought it's beyond your... I didn't say that that way, but I'll give you a taste. He says... In that state, our heart becomes the eye with which he sees God and also the eye with which God sees him. When you go into this place where you're in the heart of God, it's through which God sees us and through which we see God. Boy, I think he's making it bigger there. What do you think? And in this heart, the spiritual individual lives in intimacy with God. You, I hear Barbara Marks Hubbard said that we need to evolve into what she calls the universal human. And she coined a phrase called the universe soul. So he's saying the same thing. Could we evolve into this heart 
the spiritual individual lives in intimacy with the one, with the origin of all those theosophonies whose outward manifestation constitute all the beauty that is reflected in the world around us. This divine love lives in that inner garden, that inner paradise, constantly aware of the ubiquitous gardener, with a capital G. Well, then he uses the metaphor about the Garden of Eden, and that was the original place. It was initially entitled Ganhedon. Ganhedon is a consciousness of bliss. So when the human species came on planet Earth, according to the myth, the allegory of Adam and Eve and Ganhedon, we were in a consciousness of bliss. We were in a consciousness of oneness. That's where we started. And then the evil force of the devil encouraged Eve to tell Adam to eat from the tree of judgment, the tree of good and evil. And when we ate from the tree of good and evil, we took it in, then all of a sudden we couldn't be in a consciousness of bliss. We were in duplicity. We were in duality. There's good and there's evil and all da 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 da. And guess what? You cannot be in the Garden of Eden. So you're exiled from the consciousness of bliss. And for God knows how many thousands of years later, we even had to have a flood that destroyed everything and gave us a rainbow in order for us to find love again in the New Testament when Jesus, the prophet, came and said, you need a new wineskin for this wine. You cannot put it in the old. Now, that's the revolution that's taking place. At the center of the heart, there resides but one reality, with a big R, above and beyond all form. It was to this reality, far beyond all individual manifestations, that oh, uh, Al-Halaj, the great Sufi mystic, referenced when he sang this song. Al-Halaj is the one that was beheaded because he said Al-Haq. Al-Haq means I am that. And in those days, you said, I'm that. The Father and I are one. They either crucify you or they cut your head off. So he got his head cut off by saying, al haq And this is what he said. I saw my Lord with the eyes of my heart. I asked him, who art thou? And he responded, thou. I'm you. You're me. You're one. He goes on to say, happy is the individual who can open their eyes to their heart with the aid of heaven, which is the consciousness of oneness before his earthly eyes become shut at the moment of death, and who is able to see the continuance of this beloved while still possessing the precious gift of human life. So wouldn't it be nice, while we're still here on planet Earth, we haven't transitioned, we could know heaven right here on Earth. Well, I can see clearly now that heaven's here. What do you think? I look up and I see God. I look down and I know my dog. They're a part of the same life the one life that will heal me. So you get to play with an open heart and you need a child of wonder to play with the open heart. And then you understand to be like a child if you would experience this, that divine curiosity that says, this presence never left us, it's always been with us. But we have been distracted by the stuff of the world and the ain't it awful. My prayer partner has little Velcro uh, rest things at his church and you can put the Velcro up to your forehead and go like this. It's supposed to be funny. <laughs> until you don't need to do that. Sometimes we need things to be kind of crazy enough for, in order for us to wake up. Trey heard Howard Stearns, this lovely radio show person in New York City, rather controversial. And Howard Stearns, he was hearing all this stuff that was going on in Florida with the anti-woke movement. And he says, you know, some of my best friends are the LGBT community and I've had all my vaccines, so I'm as woke as they get. Well, thank you, Howard Stern. Yeah, so could we embrace life on life's terms and not try to make it some fantasy that we're all you know, 
dealing with. Ah, yes. So I pulled out Ernest Holmes. In this, I was thinking of teaching this, Can We Talk to God? Where he explains the foundations of religious science. And you'll love this, Sylvia. I, I said, is he going to talk about the heart? Well, what do you think he said about the heart? Ernest Holmes. From the fullness of a joyful heart, the mouth should start speaking. From the fullness of a joyful heart, the mouth should stop, start speaking. Could we be joyful? And then let whatever comes out, come out from that joy. And he goes on to re reference it. I believe in the brotherhood of humanity, in the parenthood of God, and in a unity that binds all together in one perfect whole. It's all one perfect whole. Brothers and sisters, divine presence is our source. And he says, I believe the spirit is in the wind and in the waves, Miss Gigi. And it manifests its presence throughout all of nature with a capital N. But most completely throughout our own minds and our own hearts. But most completely through that which has come together. It proclaims our livingness and its lovingness. Our livingness as the one life and its lovingness. So could we awaken to that love of the joyful heart and then let the mouth speak and not have to be in control? I release control. I don't have to know what I'm going to say. And surrender to the flow. Is that Ben? Of love that will heal me. I haven't seen you in 20 years. You used to have hair. And now you got a white beard. Interesting. I like the pink shorts. Ah, so we breathe. I know. I haven't seen people in a while. And it's always nice to see an old friend that comes back and some familiar friends. But yeah. So Ernest Holmes is on our side. Can we talk to God? I think we can take um, Helen Keller's beautiful ideas and we can let our heart speak, let our joyful heart speak, and then live in gratitude. I was reading a, a spiritual thing I get on a blog and they say, all prayer should come with a sense of giving. So when you pray, what are you giving to your prayer? Are you giving some of your soul, some of your heart, some of your wisdom, some of your gratitude? To me, the only grateful prayer is to say, yes, thank you, God. Thank you for this most glorious day. Thank you for the challenges that I have so that I can see through them to the light. Thank you for the darkness. I love to quote Carl Jung who said, he who does not know that the prince of darkness and the prince of light are one does not know God. Well, I think he's getting rid of duality there. What do you think, Pam? If we created these two princes of darkness and light, could they do this dance of the yin-yang, of the light and the dark? We've got the symbol of the Tao, the light with the dark and the dark within the light. It's all part of that and everything belongs. So it's not like we have to get rid of the fears and the hatred and the judgment. We get to embrace that. And we get to, in that embracing, it gets to be met with a sense of acceptance. You know, I was, I, when I was a student of the Course in Miracles, they said everything is either love or fear. And what I didn't like about that, it's a duplicitous way of looking at things. Right in the middle of the fear, you can find the love. And right in the middle of the love, you can find some fear that's operating. Jody loves her little grandson more than life, and he broke his wrist. So, you know, as a grandma, oh, I'm sure you're really concerned. And yet, when he's seeing the beauty and he's uh, embracing it as a growth experience, well, then you can say, wow, what a wonderful opportunity for little Lewis to have this experience with lots of ice cream. I remember when my twin sister had her tonsils out. She was the luckiest girl because mom gave her unlimited ice cream and I wasn't allowed any. I mean, those are the gifts when you have your tonsils out, right, Michael? So you begin to see life with different eyes. Oh, it's not the way I thought it was. It's much bigger. So I'm going to explore this idea of 
of the wisdom of the heart, and I pulled out my teacher, Llewellyn Von Lee. This is for the love of the real. This is the Sufi stuff that really knocks me off. Again, Al-Halaj, the great Sufi mystic. What truth has taken hold of a heart? She empties it of all but herself. All but herself, all that exists is the love. We get rid of all the judgment, all the fear, all the anxiety, and then the love remains. Oh, they're still in the background, and when they come up, oh, hello, anxiety, come on in here, let me give you a hug, and let you know that you're okay. I have that beloved little blind and deaf pug, and he's such a teacher for me, because um, we found out that when we leave the house, he, can't, he gets disoriented, and he sits by the tub, and he starts to howl. And so Gigi and Raul have offered, if we go to a movie, we're going to take him in his stroller, and they'll babysit him. He's a priority in my life, what can I say? And he's so compromised, but he opens my heart. And it's so funny, when I was up in Ohio and I was kind of coming apart with my own little deconstruction, you know who I called upon was my twin sister, who's no longer in form, and I called on the little pug because I realized when I'm taking care of him and holding him, guess what? He's taking care of me and holding me. Isn't it interesting how that reciprocal thing happens? He's really taking care of his human. So when I carry him up to bed, he lies by my side. If I get out of bed and go downstairs, he sits up and he starts going, woof, woof, I'm up here, you left me upstairs, woof. And then you start to do the howl. He still knows how to howl, I just love that. Al-Halaj, when truth has taken hold of the heart, she empties it of all but herself. And this is the process of annihilation. Nobody wants to have an annihilation. In the Sufi path, it starts with Tauba, which is the turning of the heart. You begin to turn toward the heart. And then the next phase is called Fana, which is the annihilation of the self. Now, we don't really get rid of the self. We get rid of it as the, um, the driver of our life. And that's the fana. That's where the me person falls away into the we and then ultimately into the all. So he's saying this fana stage, um, it leads to a baka, which is abiding in God. You can only abide in God after you have been annihilated. Well, who wants to be annihilated, Miss Pam? After you are no longer there, the great Sufi Al-Janayad wrote this, being wholly present within God, he is wholly lost to self, and thus he is present before God, absent in himself, absent and present at the same time. He is where he is not, he is not where he is. Well, that's kind of a, I think, an oxymoron to kind of make, a, what does that mean? He's where he isn't, but he isn't where he is. Well, I think that's confusing. Abide in God, he says, absorbed in the real, the mystic knows that this higher self, with a capital H and an S, is not an expression of one's own individuality. Rather, this self, with the big S, is the first differentiation of the primal emptiness of pure being without form. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. And so I could say to you, you don't even exist. You are a dream that may manifest in form, but the truth of you is that you're the emptiness of love itself. Well, it's a little abstract. The self is like a fulcrum a point in space between differentiated reality and undifferentiated reality. Kind of an academic phrase there. Differentiated reality, undifferentiated. Emptiness and form, form is emptiness. He's playing with a bigger idea. It is the portal to our own non-existence. Whoa, that's kind of a delicious place to be, isn't it, Michael? Non-existence. And yet there's something that exists. We're playing with this bigger, invisible something that we are. I'm asking you to stretch your imagination, the divine imagination. So it is the portal to our own non-existence. And for the Sufi, the heart, home of the self, is the doorway between these worlds. 
So through the heart, the wayfarer has access to her divine nature and then beyond to divine essence itself, which exists within the Brahman, the emptiness. So we find the divinity within, we see the divinity in our friends and our brothers and sisters, and then we experience the vastness of the emptiness of the beloved. It's all the beloved. Is that too big of an imagination to have Miss Sylvia, to see the vastness of the universe, and then play with it, open to it, discover it again and again and again. And then the importance of the little me person with the agenda kind of falls away, doesn't it? And we're being guided and lifted up and supported and even moved in a greater place. So our existence does not have to be threatened by nothingness. Existence and non-existence work together. And one consensus, nothingness, if one is attentive in the right way, in the way one can hear the silence. The silence is deafening, isn't it? Sometimes it's so profound. In the silence, there is peace. In the silence, there is unspoken joy. In the silence, there's release. From a world filled with chaos and hope, so I wait in these silent moments, and I hear all that could never be heard. And right here, in this holy silence, I find God, I find myself. So the silence is where the knower abides. It doesn't have a lot of words, but it has this deep awareness. In fact, they call them the Gnostic Gospels, from Gnosis, meaning knowing. So could we discover that knowing within ourselves? In the Gospel of Thomas, my favorite gospel, that the churches around here don't want to have on their liturgy list, he says things like, and all you're seeking, seek until you find. And he says, and when you find, you'll be greatly disturbed. And when you are greatly disturbed, you'll be filled with awe. And when you are filled with awe, you will have dominion over your world. Now, why are you greatly disturbed? Because you have this capacity within you to work with this universal thing. And when you're filled with awe, oh my God, I can literally mm, create a belief. And Jesus said, it's done unto you as you believe. So if you believe that there is the hope that we can evolve into a, a species that can transform the world, well, you can. So he goes on to say, one can sense the nothingness in, if one is attentive in the right way in the way that one can hear the silence and discover the knower. And one can work with this emptiness. One works with it through the heart. Oh, there's the heart again. And through the self, the big S. You know, anytime we allow our heart to open, even if it's with a, a compromised pet, that open heart does good work like a medicine for you. Could we keep our heart open in this world where there's so much violence and hatred and otherness, you know, making them the others, and just have compassion for all, all the um, life on this planet that's really suffering right now. There's not a, a, a right team and a wrong team. They're all experienced the same level of growth. And one can work with this emptiness. One works with it through the heart. Everything is present at each moment of time. Life is filled with emptiness, and the emptiness is pulsating with love. Whoa, and go sit in the forest and talk to a tree. Give the tree your hucha, your heavy energy, and then open up to this rarefied energy of spirit that comes through us without, without effort. Could we have that experience as we open to this love? So I was brainstorming this morning when I got up early, and I realized Jesus told us how to get into the heart when he said, what are the greatest of the commandments? And he says, there's only two, to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. That's the emptiness, that's the Brahman, that's the beloved. 
And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. They're not separate from you. You know, I was listening to this um, stuff around Israel and Gaza and all that, and I heard someone say that had been a member of the, in, in Germany during the Holocaust, I will forgive, but I will never forget. And I heard Helen Street in me, if you can't forget, you can't forgive. If you're still holding on to, you know, I still have a little bit they've done me wrong around the AIDS crisis in the 80s, and um, I still get to work on that part of me that felt rejected and abandoned. And now, um, and I think we all get to do our own healing work with forgiveness so that we can be an example. I'm teaching this class, very controversial class, because it's too self-revelatory, but it's called The Grace in Aging. And I think it was, oh, it was Rachel Naomi Raymond says, don't grow, old, don't grow old without this one. And it's about the sacredness of life as we get older to find that these are passageways. It's, it's a developmental life. You should be the best you've ever been at this stage of your life. You shouldn't be the victim of everybody stomping your little feet. No, no, no. You get to take responsibility. And this life is exactly what you needed. And you know how it is? Because you got it. And so then when we can embrace the life that we have, then we can actually create some healing. Near the end of the book, she says this. The opening of the heart is the liberation from limitations of fear. You open the heart to the very thing you were afraid of. And there's no longer that wall. It's the fear that you're facing. She says, opening the heart dissolves the wall between ourself and others and dissolves the wall between ourself and the sacred. It's this heart space that once we enter it, the sacred's right there. Once we enter it, we can meet each other in the moment where we all are. Not that you have to be in a certain place for me to meet you. No, we can meet in whatever is. And we can have that conversation. You know, there's something so powerful about having a dialogue where we get to meet the shadow in another and we get to take it within our heart and transmute it. So he, he's kind of going on in this book. Opening the heart dissolves the wall between ourselves and others, dissolves the wall between ourselves and the sacred, and it leaves the heart with no need to be defended. There's a wonderful book, I'm sure you've read it, Nancy, called The Undefended Heart. When you are in a safe relationship, you don't have to defend this heart. It doesn't, have, doesn't need you to protect it anymore. There's not one of you that I feel I have to put a wall up to be with you. Well, maybe one or two, but no. <laughs> Opening our heart, life then becomes not so much about difficulty, although difficulties may certainly still arise for us. We simply, with an open heart, hold everything more lightly. With an open heart, we hold everything more lightly. It's not so serious. There's one of the phrases in Emerson's essays where he says, oh, so hot, my little sir, so hot. Why do you have to get so upset about this? my little sir. It just is what it is. Yes, we had slavery in America. Yes, women were marginalized. They couldn't own property. Yes, the country was going to hell in a handbasket, but he stood up to it and he said it's not acceptable. And in that standing up to it and saying it wasn't acceptable, consciousness shift because they were ready to move out of this old way of thinking. And so it's time for that to still be there within all of us and it comes from the wisdom of the heart. So I'm going to ask beloved Jody to ring the bell and I'm going to do a little meditation and then we'll have a little basket, and we'll have a little music, and uh, we'll do a little closing. Jody? I love how she goes back to the bell. I love the bell. Of the mindfulness bell, because it takes us into this present moment where we get to observe who we are. 
we get to observe the context around us and notice that life around us is still going on. Are we letting the storm on the outside? Are we putting it on the inside? Are we able to just observe the outer world and meet it with a sense of equanimity? And so when life gives us a challenge, we no longer try to figure it out with our head, but we put the head in the heart. And so something compassionate is beginning to reveal itself. Something that is nurturing, and supportive of a new sense of being is waiting to arise, to flower, if you will, within the soul. And so we wait upon the Lord, as it says in the Bible. We wait upon this spiritual law to activate an intelligence within us that can assist us in assuming the consciousness that is required hmm, for an emerging evolution to take place within us and all around us. And we wait. There's nothing to do except perhaps pray. And when we pray, we open to the realization that this divine intelligence has taken up residence within the wisdom of the heart. And they're working together in a collaborative way to offer us mm, openings so that we might receive the grace of the moment, even the grace of aging. And so then life becomes a beautiful gift and a gift only belongs to the one who opens it. And so we open the gift of life here this Sunday morning. We open the gift of love. We open the gift of forgiveness and release. We open the gift of deepest acceptance of life. We open the gift of that clear flowing awareness that is not bound by control or thought, but is open to revelation and discovery. And so we keep growing and waking up every breath, every day, every encounter. It's by divine appointment, every single one. So we give deep, deep abiding thanks for this sweet, sweet life that teaches us and shows us the way. It's not complicated. We make it complicated. It's very simple. Just to love one another, he said, as I have loved you. So could we open to that love? The love of the divine, he prioritized it. And then the love of the love of our neighbor as ourself. One life, one love. Reflecting itself. So if you're so inclined, place your hand over your heart and join with me in the heart salutation as we say, I honor you. I respect you. I respect you. I love you. I love you. You are the awakened heart of the one. Flowering in possibility. Excited about the coming. Surrendered and trusting. Knowing all is well. And all shall be well. With ease and grace we let it be so. Curious spontaneity. The experience.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org.